Welcome to the very first episode of the Christian Authors Podcast. I'm your host, Victory, and our guest speaker for today is Stephanie Miller. And I'm very sure you will enjoy every bit of this interview. She will be reading the question and also supplying the answers. I do hope you will enjoy this episode. If you do not like to listen to the podcast, please you can go to the website whereby the text format of this audio is available for your consumption. I do hope you have a lovely time listening to her and also reading from our website. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Question one, tell us a little bit more about yourself, your faith in God, and how it has affected all areas of your life. So this is kind of a loaded question for me. I have seen so much growth and transformation in all areas of my life because to the best um, I can, as a daily practice, I practice being obedient and I practice surrendering all areas of my life to God so I can allow God to move on my behalf to further his purposes and his plan for my life. So I am a personal and spiritual growth coach, an author, and a speaker. Uh, The coaching really kind of resulted from a breakdown point in my life where I was experiencing a depression, I was experiencing a darkness, a really low point that God brought me out of by using the verse Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, not to harm you, plans for a hope and a future. And from that verse, he also led me to this idea of becoming a Christian life coach. So I pursued that coaching. And from my um, coaching certification and the coaching training that I did, I kind of developed and turned into my own butterfly, if you will. I underwent another spiritual transformation besides the one that I had when I initially accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior but another spiritual transformation resulted when I fully surrendered and fully gave over my life to God. I also am a mom. I have two little kids under the age of three. I am a military wife and we live in the state of Colorado. So personally and professionally, I am extremely busy most days, uh, but God has placed this um, on my heart. He has placed the encouragement and the strong desire to help women transform into who God has called them to be. Um, So that's also been kind of the foundation for the book as well. Question two, from your blog, you said you are a certified personal growth coach. How has this helped you in defining who you are? How did the journey to becoming this began? So I believe I actually incidentally already answered this question, Um, but it resulted in I was newly married. We moved away from family and friends. I did not know anyone. And I also left my full-time career to follow my new husband um, for his job and his career. So from that point, I had kind of this identity crisis, and I'll even go a step further, but this purpose crisis. Who am I? What am I doing here? What is my purpose? I felt all of these things and I called them out to God. And once I called them out to God, he was faithful to show me and lead me and direct me into the plans that he had prepared for me. 
I also have my uh, master's degree in psychology. And where before I really kind of went on this track of devoting my life to Christ over and over again and submitting my will um, and uh, adapting his will, uh, I had, did not want to see any people. I did not want to hear people's problems. That was not what I wanted to do. But I really feel that God has somewhat of a sense of humor because he's used that training and that psychology background that I have to help me also relate to the people that I work with, the ladies that I help. And the book, um, The Butterfly Blueprint, How to Renew Your Mind and Grow Your Faith, that I know we're going to talk a little bit more about today. The book is also heavily entrenched in in cognitive psychology and what we think about ourselves, our perceptions um, based on our beliefs and our values. So I won't get too much into that, but that is, that's kind of the stepping stone, if you will, from the life coaching that delved from my own personal transformation and my own personal spiritual growth that I received when I implemented what the book talks about are as the blueprint or the steps or how to renew your mind and grow your faith. So question three, your new book, The Butterfly Blueprint, How to Renew Your Mind and Grow Your Faith. I love this title. How did you come about it? And what advice can you give Christian authors out there? What perks must they avoid when naming their book? So this is going to be kind of a cliche answer, but honestly, God gave me the title. I struggled so long with the right title. I went back and forth, back and forth. Um, one of the other title options I really liked was Becoming His Butterfly, but it didn't quite seem to make the connection that I wanted it to make. So I was laying in bed one night and all of a sudden I heard the words. So God was speaking to me like he often does. And I don't know if it's anyone else, but in the middle of the night, right before I'm going to bed, he usually just fills, the Holy Spirit just fills me with a lot of insight, a lot of words, a lot of guidance and direction, so much that I have to kind of turn over and, and write some of it down. Otherwise, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. But he whispered the words to me, the butterfly blueprint. And at first I thought, okay, well, that seems catchy, but does it make any sense? Like what? is a butterfly blueprint exactly. So I prayed more about it. Um, I spoke to a couple of uh, wise counsel, if you will, and we came up with the butterfly blueprint, how to renew your mind and grow your faith. The how to, of course, is not a specific, if you follow all of these steps, then you're going to get this result. It's not like that. It's a how-to that's adaptable. It's a how-to that is flexible based on how the Spirit is speaking to you, based on how the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you into your own unique, deep relationship with Christ. So when we were looking at naming the book officially, I didn't have the word the in front of it. I just had butterfly blueprint. So I would suggest, one suggestion would be to, to name and to use that authority over your, your title. So the Butterfly Blueprint has a lot more emphasis, has a lot more um, weight. It just carries a lot more authority, if you will, than Butterfly Blueprint. So that would be one, one thing. And some people will tell you to avoid subtitles or to um, just make a specific title and then allow the 
back of the book to really fully explain what you're talking about. And I would agree with that to a point. I think that it's helpful to have a punchy title and then you have a subtitle that is giving you these ideas. It's giving you these key words, if you will, what people will search and what they will be able to find in your book. So for mine, how to renew your mind and grow your faith, renew your mind and grow your faith are key words that people search and people look for. It is, yes, I was just thinking about how do I renew my mind? What does that look like? It was, yes, how do I grow my faith? Like, how do I dive deeper into my relationship with God? So I think using these key words really help us um, when we're looking at a title of the book. Also, interestingly enough, the cover of my book has a purple butterfly. Now, this purple butterfly has a significance in and of itself. The purple butterfly stands for the two colors that make up purple, which are red and blue. So red stands for Christ's blood shed for us the sacrifice that he made on the cross so we can be free and seen righteous in the eyes of God. And then the blue stands for the word of God. So the Bible that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So these two colors together make purple and purple in the Bible stands for royalty. We are daughters and sons of the most high king. So this idea that we are royalty, royal priesthood in Christ makes up the purple butterfly. So I always like to share that significance of the purple butterfly because um, I don't think many people catch on to that connection. So I love to make a specific mention of that. So question four, did it take for you to complete the first draft? Was it tough? Is this your first book? And how did you come out victorious? Because to me, this is a trophy. So I so appreciate you framing the book as a trophy and as me claiming victory, because I do, I feel such a sense of accomplishment that God has prepared me and he has given me all of the tools necessary to run this race. Of course, on one hand, I feel that, okay, the book is out now. Now what? Now what do I do, right? We build up all of this anticipation, all of this excitement, and then it's, it's all, all done. It's like, okay, what happens now? But now is the most exciting part because now I just continue to be faithful in doing the small things um, and then just watch God move on my behalf. For the draft, I, this is kind of a funny story. In 2019, I was led to write a book. So in the month of January of 2019, I wrote the majority of the book that is now known, The Butterfly Blueprint but it had nothing with the butterfly at first. It had nothing to do with the butterfly. In fact, I think it was focused more on this idea of these five keys that are also in the book now, but they're framed a little bit differently, more in the reference to each life stage, life cycle stage of the butterfly. So I wrote this first draft. It was about 20,000 words. And then I had plans to publish it later that year in 2019, but the next month I found out I was pregnant. So I learned that I was going to have a baby in 2019, but it wasn't going to be the book baby that I thought it was going to be an actual baby. 
So I went ahead and followed God's lead to put that book project on the shelf, knowing that he had put this desire and this vision in my heart so deeply that he would let me know when it was time to pick it back up and finish it and complete it and to see it all the way through. So fast forward to 2020, January 2020, before all the COVID stuff and coronavirus stuff happens, I felt that call again to, to pull out that book and to continue to write it and to be able to see it through. I was offered um, a keynote speaking opportunity that also kind of served as a catalyst to being able to finish that draft. And from there, that's when God really revealed to me that this book needed the butterfly. This book needed the aspect of the butterfly so we could see the stages of spiritual growth and transformation from each area and from each point. Now, what I neglected to mention in my previous answer to kind of who I am and about my life coaching is my butterfly, um, my ministry is actually called Butterfly Beginnings. So this idea of the butterfly is evident in many areas of my life. So I struggled with wanting to implement the butterfly aspect into this book because I thought, well, that's too obvious. There has to be something else. But God just continued to direct me and he just continued to lead me into saying, oh no, it's the butterfly. It is about the butterfly. And so I was able to follow his lead and follow his guidance and make it the butterfly blueprint. And from there, I made it into, um, I doubled almost, maybe even a little bit more, doubled my word count. So I went from 20,000 words to 40,000 words using the butterfly blueprint. So most of the book was written in about a month, but then with careful edit and careful revision, following God's direction, that's when I was able to um, see it turn into what we now know as the butterfly blueprint. Question five, I would love to, the audience to be enlightened on the topic, deciphering godly themes in their lives. What is it about? And how can they bring a message out of their mess, trusting God in the process? So I love that you read this blog and I love that this post really spoke to you. Um, deciphering godly themes in their lives is being able to look at the messages or look at the reminders Maybe God's bringing a specific scripture to mind. Maybe he's bringing a word to mind. Something is just repeatedly pressed on your heart. Maybe even something someone mentions or you hear something on TV or you listen to music, but something is just continually um, impressing, you know, being, making an impression on you. So deciphering godly themes is looking at these messages that really stand out to you. Uh, an example I'll give real quick is I was reading through my devotional a couple days ago, and in a short paragraph towards the end, the author mentioned that we can be busy without being fruitful. So busyness does not equal fruitfulness. And that just popped out at me, and that just required me to really think about that more and meditate on that idea more finding scripture to support that, um, but to really evaluate what God was trying to tell me. And so that really is how you can start to tap into and lean into the messages that God is giving you, what he's trying to remind you of, how he's trying to guide you. 
And it can be little things. It can be just uh, being obedient to the nudges or the promptings that he gives you. Uh, my mom shared the other day that she was at a meeting and normally she never talks at this meeting, but she felt that nudge. She felt that prompting to speak up in that meeting and she did and she obeyed and she uh, was able to use the power that the Holy Spirit gave her um, following that nudging, following that prompting. And then from that, it resulted in being able to talk more one-on-one -on -one with one of the other people that came up to her and personally thanked her for sharing her story. So that's also a huge thing of mine, just the importance of sharing your story, the importance of being authentic and transparent. Um, but this godly themes and these messages and these things that just stick out to you and they pop out to you with what you read, what you hear, what you see, I just encourage you to lean into them and to lean into God who is trying to show you something. He's either trying to show you your next step. He's trying to provide you comfort in hard times. He's trying to show you what having hope will look like. But this idea that as we lean into him, he will lean into us more. Jeremiah, uh, the book of Jeremiah even tells us that we will find God when we seek God with all of our heart. This idea that we cannot be half in and half out, but we have to be all in. And he continues to communicate with us and he continues to show us and reveal to us what he has for us in these small steps of faithful obedience. So question six, why are you attracted to butterflies? Is there a theme in your life applicable to butterflies? So I think I've kind of alluded to this before, but going way back, butterflies have always had a significance in my family's life on my mother's side. It was my great grandmother, my grandmother and my mom and myself have always been attracted to butterflies. But my grandmother has this, uh, what they called, a, my great grandma had this, a butterfly blessing. So it was a short poem that was just talking about the beauty of a butterfly flying away, having uh, wings that are unique and being able to spread kindness and compassion. It's this whole little butterfly blessing that kind of started as the blueprint or the cornerstone of my coaching ministry. So from there, it talks about that transformation that you are no longer a caterpillar, but you are a butterfly. And then, so the book really just is a culmination of all of my heart, all of the things that I have learned, all of the things that my clients have learned through working with me, through having that, their own spiritual growth and transformation. So transformation is, it can be a small transformation or it can be a large transformation. But for me, butterflies have always symbolized the epitome of being a new creation in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is a new creation in Christ, behold, the old is gone, the new is here. So we have this responsibility once we become changed and once we become transformed into who God has called us to be, to be able to live to that. And the butterfly just really is the epitome of that. And I find many people view spiritual growth and transformation differently. God gives them different analogies, different illustrations. Um, in the book of Corinthians, again, Paul uses this idea of, uh, of a baby. So an infant to a baby to a toddler, you know, going up developmentally. So how you spiritually develop in that capacity. Um, 
I love how God speaks to us through different analogies and different metaphors. Um, but for me, the illustration has always been the butterfly. So question seven, how has your relationship with God developed or affected your writing? This is another really loaded question because I have always wrote. I did not have a very, um, I had a dysfunctional childhood growing up. So one of the outlets I always used was writing. I would write poetry um, as a child and as an adolescent to help kind of get my thoughts out and release what I was feeling. Well, as I grew up into a young adult and then an adult and got married and everything, I really started journaling more um, and focusing on what it meant to journal. I also started my blog uh, at thebutterflybeginnings.net right around the time I started my coaching certification and my coaching uh, school transformation experience. So I was blogging just about that experience just as a release of how to get out what I was feeling, how I was doing, and how God was revealing all of these things to me as I was going through this process. Well, that quickly just catapulted into this whole big thing of just sharing what God has done and what God has shown me in my life. So these could be in the big acts of struggles or the big things that I've overcome or the big things that I've had to experience. Um, or these could be in small things. So noting something about my child who is a toddler right now and in a very tough age, but being able to see the sinful nature in its rare form, right? And its true form of what it means to be selfish, what it means to live apart from Christ and have that constant me, 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 me mentality. And understanding that that's where she is and also being, you know, two and a half really helps me better uh, develop a perspective and develop a plan on how to show her, how to teach her, how to lead her, um, and eventually just develop, help her develop that relationship with Christ in and of herself. So writing for me has always been cathartic. It's always been therapeutic. It's always been something that I've done to release. Many times, uh, blog posts or writing for this book, um, it's really been about just God revealing things to me that I had no idea as I'm writing. So writing to me is an act of obedience but God pulls out these truths and he reveals things to me. I think of a perfect quote that sums this up that I read somewhere. It's that we write for ourselves, but we edit for our audience. And I think that is 100% true. I'm writing for myself. I am pouring my heart and soul into my writing because I'm writing for myself to release and to heal from experiences or to be able to process what I'm going through. But ultimately, I edit for my audience. So how that will translate into impacting others through the message that God has given me. So question eight, I find it so hard to accept or believe people's compliments about me, especially the good ones. If someone likes my book, I don't accept it easily. So how should this be dealt with? This question is in reference to the post on the danger of self-deprecating humor. There, I know I wrote, I know I wrote about this post and there is such a fine line between being humble to the point that God had us to do 
and also just devaluing ourselves and devaluing the gifts and the abilities and the talents that God has given us. And I walk that tightrope. I struggle with that a lot. People, more people have come in and said, I love your book. It's helping me. This is how I was able to apply it and see a change and see a difference and how I've responded to my world and how I've better dealt with my emotions. And this was healing for me to read and healing for me to understand. And I hear it and it goes one, goes in one ear and out the other but I don't necessarily let it absorb. I don't let it sink in. Maybe I am afraid to let the gravity of the fact that God has used my obedience and the message that he has given me personally to transform other people, which is silly, right? Because that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book as an act of obedience to listen to what God has told me to do and to share what he has given me, but also in knowing that God will use those words to transform other people's hearts, other people's minds um, into who they have, who he has called them to be. So I would say that we need to be careful about not just devaluing what God has given us. When people say, I love your book, or it's so great, or it was helpful, or it's so relatable, I do say thank you because thank you. Um, I don't diminish or depreciate what they're trying to give me as a compliment. Um, but instead, and I might even say sometimes, thank you, that was all God or that was all God through me, but thank you. Um, just giving him the glory and giving him the praise, but also um, not diminishing the compliment that they are trying to give me. And a lot of times we can kind of... Um, use this idea of humor to devalue what God has given us. Like, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it made sense to me at the time. Ha ha ha. And wanting someone to validate that. Oh no, it makes perfect sense. Oh no, I totally got what you were trying to say out of it. But that also is related to our holy confidence, which is a whole nother um, subject, a whole nother thing that we could talk about that I actually do talk about in my blog. Um, in the month of July, I did a whole series on holy confidence and what it looks like to be confident in Christ and to be confident in who he has called you to be and to put our trust in him and not of our abilities or our talents or what the world says or anything like that. So that's really what I'll say about how we can give God the honor and the praise, but avoid this idea of self-deprecation, um, either a humor form or just fishing for compliment form as well. So question nine, Going through phases in life, does it become easy as we grow up? I like that your book is about the metamorphosis of a butterfly, applying that to our walk with God. Do we become better or wiser in dealing with some situations? So the answer to this is ideally, yes. Ideally, we will be able to transform every area of our life because we have surrendered all areas of our life to him. Some people may not realize that spiritual growth is not just reading the Bible more, praying more, knowing scripture off the top of your head more, but spiritual growth is really how readily we are able to surrender that area over to God. How are we able to say, not my will, Lord, but your will in all areas of our life to see him move 
in our finances and our relationships, maybe with our spouses or our kids, and even in our career. So this idea that spiritual growth is possible in every area of our life. Now, I will say that in the book, I talk a lot about with my struggle with food and what that looked like and how I had to identify while I was going to food. What was food offering me? Why was I searching for this worldly comfort and this instant gratification when God had something so much greater, so much better for me um, if I was able to lay that on the table and just give that over to him? So we have to constantly do this constant heart cleanup, this constant heart evaluation. What am I going to? What am I searching for? What am I seeking? And how am I putting that into practice in every area of my life? I talk about that. It's not an all or nothing thing. You are not only a butterfly or only a caterpillar. You are not only heavenly focused or only worldly focused, but instead we can kind of flip flop back and forth based on the different areas of our life. I might have been a butterfly in one area, but I was still very much a caterpillar in my eating and in my mindset around eating. It provided me that comfort. It provided me that instant relief. Uh, a quote in the book that I mentioned is, there is comfort in the familiar, even in the dysfunctional. And that's exactly what I was experiencing. And it wasn't until God kind of bopped me on the head um, not, you know, not literally, but it wasn't until he kind of really got my attention that I was able to see that no amount of food, no amount of going to food for this comfort or this source of, um, of peace was actually going to give me peace or give me comfort. In fact, it very much so led me to, um, just seek more comfort and it just makes you feel worse than before. So being able to identify what you are holding on to that maybe you need to give over to God uh, helps us to become better and wiser in dealing with situations because we seek God first, seek first his kingdom of righteousness, and then all else will be given to us. So question 10, what will you say to the Christian out there who struggles to grow his faith in God? Is there a shortcut to a quick result? So I would say that the only shortcut I can think of is just to persevere, just to be consistent. You may not feel that God is good right now. You may be going through the motions. You may be feeling spiritually stuck. And for that, I say that I wrote this book for you. I wrote it to show you that if you're able to identify what is causing you to feel stuck, you're able then to let that go and give that over and allow God to come transform you from the inside out. So identifying the areas that you're struggling in, the things, um, the progress that you're not seeing, or if you feel that there is a wall there, I just encourage you to dive deeper into the word of God. You may not feel that he is good, but you know that he is good. We don't have to feel that he is good to know that he is good. So I encourage you to stand on the promises that he has given us in the book. Stand on his faithfulness. Remind yourself of maybe where you were before and how he brought you out of that. Your own metamorphosis, your own transformation. Being able to see that God 
always desires us to grow in a deeper relationship with him. Now on this side of heaven, we will never be perfect. We will never be um, just like Christ. But our call and our role in this world is to continually pursue him and to continually seek him. And as a result of that, he will make us new and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and use all of the mess, all of the pain, all of the struggle before him and even walking with him and all of that. He will use that for his good and his glory. So I would say, hold on, sister or brother, hold on to the promises and the hope that God has given you. Hebrews, if we hold on unswervingly to the hope that we profess, he who promised is faithful. Question 11, what is your favorite verse of the Bible? And what chapter of your new book is your favorite and why? So I mentioned a little bit before, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, that verse has a significance in my heart because that's the verse that God led me to and called me out of the pit of despair, called me out of the self-loathing uh, season that I was in. Uh, another verse that I also like is, uh, I mentioned it before, but 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is a new creation in Christ, behold, the old is gone, the new is here. So we are new creations in Christ. You don't have to keep living from that caterpillar perspective. You don't have to keep focusing on what the world is telling you you need to try to achieve or the world is telling you measure success. Instead, you march to the beat of your own drum. You do things that Christ tells you to do and you essentially ignore what um, the world is telling you to do. In my life, I personally strive to do what is right and to do what is right is not always easy and i think my favorite chapter of the book is actually chapter five it's called the label maker so it really talks about the weight and all of the um, value that we have placed on the words that people have spoken over us or the words that we have spoken over ourselves what we hear about ourselves and our beliefs and our abilities is what we start to kind of live under. So I share that I always struggle with this idea of not feeling good enough. So just working to live up to the standard of I could be doing this more, I could be doing that more, I am not a good mom, I am not a good wife, I am not a good writer, all of these things feeling like not good enough, um, but able then to take those labels off and realize that God has not placed these labels on me. God has placed the label of you are valued. You are cherished. I have lavished my love on you. You are adored. You are made new. Uh, and I could go on and on and on. But instead allowing those labels and living under those labels to live out my life and to do what I call live transformed. So live what it means to be a daughter of the most high king and not live thinking that I am not good enough and that I don't have value. So chapter five is one of my favorite because it really talks about the lies that we have told ourselves, the false beliefs that we have believed about ourselves and how that has kind of uh, warped our perspective of ourselves and our abilities. 
So once we're able to release that, once we're able to say, these are the things that I have believed, but by God's grace, he has cleansed me, he has healed me, and they are not true, and I am instead claiming his truths and his promises, that's when we really start to see this veil of uncertainty or this veil of not good enough lifted. Okay, so question 12. What do you think is a major challenge to having full faith and growing in God for Christians? And how does this affect our life? So I mentioned this a little bit before, but it really comes down to the fact that doing what the world is doing and believing what the world tells you to believe and striving for what the world tells you to strive for is so much easier than going against what they say. You know, they say success is numbers, success is power and achievement and status. God doesn't say that. God doesn't say that success is how high your book is ranking on Amazon or anything like that. God says that it is about soul transformation. It is about leading people to Christ. It is about calling them back to him, allowing them to just reveal themselves and be honest and open with themselves and honest and open with God so God can come and transform them. So it's really about being able to remove yourself from this idea of what the world says is going to give you happiness and what the world says is going to give you satisfaction and be obedient and have that holy confidence again to step into your full faith and allow God to grow you and shape you and change you. Once you put your relationship with God first, he will start to change every area of your life. And honestly, he has probably been working in every area of your life. But until you're able to seek him first, you won't be able to see how he has moved. And for those of you that might be struggling with really, really hard things, I want to encourage you that God is moving. If even though you can't see it, God is moving and God is working on your behalf. There might be prayers that you have been praying, maybe praying for someone's salvation, someone's healing, someone's rescuing. And I just want to encourage you that keep on praying, keep on believing, keep on persevering in that because God is using that. Even though you can't see it, it might not be a change that happens tomorrow. It might not be a change that happens in a week or a year from now, but I promise you God is using that. When we are obedient to being able to continue to ask, to be able to continue to seek and knock, that's when we start to see God move because we have been faithful in what he has called us to do. So question 13, getting inspiration from your book each chapter, how was the process like? Was it easy? So like I said, I basically wrote the first draft of the book within a, a little over a month. So it was, it was pretty easy. Um, and I want to say easy. It was just very, I sat down and I just wrote and wrote and wrote. My friend at one point was holding me accountable and I was just kind of checking in with her to let her know that I wrote each day. And I don't even remember the goal specifically that I set. It might've been a number goal, but I remember one day she shared with, with me um, a couple weeks ago that I actually ended up writing 9,000 words in one day. And this was with why I had um, one young child. So I feel like for me, it was not hard because God just 
spoke through me and he just said, okay, now is the time. And I was able to just get all of the thoughts and all of the words that he had given me from my head um, onto the computer and just type them out. So that really was, um, that really was easy. Now, when I started to know that I needed to add more words, and this was before that he revealed to me the idea of the butterfly and what it means to be in a butterfly egg stage, and then a caterpillar stage, and then a cocoon stage, and finally the butterfly stage, before he revealed to me all of these, I was definitely struggling trying to figure out, okay, what do I add more? How do I make this a, more than just 20,000 words? So once that butterfly came and once I started um, using that perspective on our spiritual growth and transformation and how God shapes us, it became a lot easier. So question 14, who is your favorite Christian author, your favorite Christian book and movie? So one of my favorite Christian authors is Lisa Turkhurst. I quote her a couple times um, in my book actually. And I went to her conference, her writing and speaking conference uh, in 2016 when I became a newly uh, kind of just out of my training, my life coaching, Christian life coaching training. Um, so I went to her conference and um, I had a very life-changing experience. She's one of my favorite Christian authors. And then also Wendy Pope, um, who might be a little less known, but she is another one of my favorite Christian authors. She had a book, Wait and See, that I actually um, went to her workshop, and she was giving free copies of this book out for her workshop. And I have since um, given copies out to other people who are in periods of waiting, who are in periods of what I term the cocoon stage. So she is absolutely one of my favorite authors as well. Um, yeah, so my favorite Christian book, I would say, um, besides the Bible, of course, I'd say Wait and See is probably one of my favorite books. And a movie would be um, War Room, just the power of prayer, the power of prayer in your marriages, and just being able to remind yourself that the struggles that we face are not against flesh and blood, but are a, from the um, just the spirits of darkness and the spirits at work against us. So. I love War Room. I think that is absolutely one of my favorite Christian movies. So how can we connect with you and how can your book be purchased? So my website is www.butterflybeginnings.net. But from there, you'll be able to uh, learn more about me, learn more about my coaching, as well as be able to read my blog posts. Now for purchasing the book, you can purchase the book from clicking a link on that website, or it's also available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and um, from my publisher Lucid Books as well. So these are all ways you'll be able to connect, um, and always you'll be able to purchase the book if that's something that you feel led or called to do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Christian Authors Podcast. Your host is Zia, and she's saying thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for sharing us with your friend. And thank you so much for joining in. We appreciate you a lot. And to every author listening to this, we can't wait to have you on this show. If you would love to be part of this, just send us an email at victory at We will reply to every email sent. Thank you so much. We can't wait to see you next time. Bye.